But before that, you have this very powerful metaphor. And it says, I arrived in this world with a hole, literally a big gaping hole in the roof of my mouth, which milk would leak up through and then down out of my nose. Surgeons at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York closed the hole, but it would be a half century before I felt whole. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime and Academia episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon where I'm giving you all seven days of a free trial. So patreon.com backslash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. And if you join the ITBR professor level, which you'll see gets you access to all of our rewatch podcast series like Queer as Folk and Smash, and all of our Teaches series, including when we rewatched Scream with you all, when we discussed The Exorcist, we're about to do a Britney Spears memoir episode. So, oh, and The Fall of the House of Usher is coming up. You also get access to both book clubs. And while you're at it, while you're joining our Patreon, where you're getting your seven days for free, I would really love if you Make sure you like and follow us on Apple or Spotify, and please leave a review. It really does help us in terms of advertisers and sponsors. Thank you all for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Network, and it is just wonderful to be part of this arts and culture organization and have you all out there reach out to me. So again, remember, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. And we have a Facebook and we're on X as well. Enjoy this episode, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I'm really excited to be joined with a guest who is going to open our eyes to coming out later in life. I don't want to say later, like, that it's this age shaming, um, but coming out, you know, when you're middle-aged and that whole experience, which there's so many out there who have this story and it doesn't get shared. So, um, I am joined with Melissa Guyberson, who is a native New Yorker who identifies as a late bloomer. That's actually the title of her memoir, Late Bloomer, uh, right here. I'm holding it up for everyone out there. And she is a highly sensitive introvert and a proud mama bear to two children. As an occupational therapist and writer, she has published articles in Caveller, Dorothy Parker's Ashes, Salon, The Gay and Lesbian Review. Shout out to our sponsor. Uh, she also received an honorable mention in the memoirs and personal essay category of the 91st annual Writer's Digest Writing Competition. Her essay, Art is the Antidote, appears in the anthology Art in the Time of Unbearable Crises. 
um, crisis, I should say. <laughs> it's singular. Uh, Melissa is living her authentic life with her partner and their two cats. Together, they split their time between New Jersey and Provincetown, Massachusetts. So without further ado, welcome, Melissa, to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Thank you. It's so great to be here with you. So what I love is that not only is your memoir called Late Bloomer, but it has um, the subtitle is Finding My Authentic Self at Midlife. So, you know, let's start there, which is what was calling you to write a memoir? Like, how did you know, okay, this story of my authentic self needs to be told? So what happened was I had started writing early in my journey and then put those writings away because life, you know, keeps you busy when you have kids. And during the pandemic, things slowed down a little bit. I rediscovered these writings about my journey and had time to sort of dig into them and started working with an editor um, to help make sense. I don't know that I set out to write a book as much as I wanted to make sense of my own journey and my own story. But as I did, I was reminded of the people that showed up for me very early on in my journey when I realized I needed help, that there was something going on, I didn't understand what it was, and I went searching for anybody or anything. And the first time that I found a book that validated the experience I was having, it it was very impactful, it was enormous. Some people would say it was life-saving. And I decided I wanted to do that for, for other people. So lots of people had the experience that I had and there are books out there, lots of them are vignettes. That's like the one that I had found. But I wanted to put my story, my messy story, all of it, down for somebody who either is going through it, and I might be that first book they find that resonates for them, validates them. People have reached out to me. But also for those people that are on the other side of the journey, um, I've heard from people that have thanked me for writing it because it validated what they went through and it allowed them to look at um, the courage that they had for the journey that they took. So I just wanted to help other people um, yeah. and be visible. Yes. Yeah, so how do you then identify now um, with your sexual orientation? Like, what are you comfortable identifying as? So I identify as a gay woman. Um I, you know, I, I have a same sex partner and, um, very comfortable. It's just being a member of the LGBTQ community. I have no, um, hesitation and no qualms about my sexuality at this point. Well, and I love how you begin your book, which not only to the dedication to all the mama bears out there, which is really empowering, but you have this writing that comes right before your intro, like right even before um, your author's note about, you know, this memoir is my story. Like I've, mm -hmm. you know, changed names and the whole protecting, you know, your creativity to make sure no one out there uh, sues you or anything, which is important. But before that, you have this very powerful me metaphor. And it says, I arrived in this world with a hole, literally a big gaping hole in the roof of my mouth which milk would leak up through and then down out of my nose. Surgeons at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center in New York closed the hole, but it would be a half century before I felt whole. And I really thought like that was so interesting because 
you take us then on this 10 year journey of like coming out or just finding your voice. Um, so what was it about like connecting that bodily experience to your childhood from infancy, having a hole in the roof of your mouth to like speaking to this coming out journey? So the fact that I was born with a cleft palate is something that um, just seems to be with me forever. It somehow always comes up. Um, it's just part of the conversation of my life. Do you remember this? It's it's funny stories both my parents still tell. And when I go to dentists, it's, you know, they're like, oh, look at the scar in your mouth. And, and it's just always been a part of me. But I had realized when I was actually working on this book and doing a deep dive to understand my journey and to understand me better, that um, I started off, it was kind of an irony that I started off with this hole and taking this journey helped me to feel whole in another way. And throughout my life, I had always felt different, a little mm -hmm. bit out of step. Um, and I always felt that something was missing and I just could not put my finger on it. And so going through this journey, both going forward in this journey and then looking back on the journey is what helped me put the pieces together to get to a point that I no longer feel that something is missing. I no longer feel the presence of a whole, if you will, within me. Um, I do feel very much whole, like a whole person who, you know, the answers to the questions I didn't know I needed to ask um, until I was sort of caught up in the middle of it. Mm. Well, and I find that right when you open up, you begin with this memory of being at the gym, um, specifically the Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association gym, and that like you were training to run a 5K and like, you kind of date yourself with the time period of having an iPod, you know, when we used to <laughs> use iPods um, instead of our phones and all of the wireless headphone <laughs> technology we now have. But like, do you remember seeing this woman lotioning her legs and like her whole body? And it really creates this erotic desire. But at the same time, you tell us that you are romantic with a woman. So like, I found that interesting. It's not like this is your first awakening of being aroused by women. Like you're already in this romance and sexual relationship. So like, what was, was there a difference between like you seeing this woman and desiring her to how you were categorizing this friendship romance with the woman in your life? Uh, yes. Um, that's what makes it interesting for me, that's what needed to be unpacked, is I had separated out what was happening with Raya, who was my catalyst. And we, you know, it started out as friendship, but I had these feelings with her that I had never had before, not with another woman, and not even never had the intensity with my husband, uh, that of the feelings that I had had with Raya. But I never... It, I mean, it was like it was behind some sort of partition. I never thought about it. What does this mean? I was just so immersed in the feeling. And I wanted to stay in that feeling that I never actually thought about it. What What does this mean? 
when I came upon this woman in in the Y, uh, which was just a mile from my house where I had spent so much time um, with my kids, myself, I worked in that building, but, um, and I just saw her and I just was captivated. And I was just sort of struck by the sight of her and I didn't understand it. I just always remember being what felt like frozen in time. And then I just stepped away. And it's the very first time, despite having been in this um, relationship of sorts, if you will, with Raya, with a woman, it's the first time the question actually came to my mind, am I gay? Um, And that's where the story begins. And then how did it feel when you broached that subject with Raya? Because I remember you have a lot of conversations like throughout the book about like you've caught her the catalyst, but she's mm-hmm. even a little taken aback by you even asking if you're gay. Like, you know, she sees like your relationship as something special that doesn't necessarily have to change your identity, which I thought was an interesting way of her framing this romance. Yeah, I think that um, when I had sent her the text asking her the question and her response, you know, you should be read with sarcasm. You know, when I say, am I gay? And she says, no, you just like me. Um, You know, she was being trying to be cute, trying to be funny, because it was one of those things that we actually never talked about. We didn't discuss. And a lot of it has to do with my inability to go there. I hadn't been thinking about it, what it meant. And I think a lot of it has to do with her feeling very guilty about the feelings that she had for me, knowing that I was married, knowing I had kids. So, you know, she had known other people in a situation like this, but she also had a lot of guilt um, about it. And so I think that we were, you know, I was sort of behind that partition and she was feeling guilty and not wanting to go there um, for other reasons. Yeah. And I know I'm not going to be the first to ask this question to you because I'm (laughs) sure when you talk about your book, your work, um, your journey, these 10 years, it's probably one that comes to the forefront of a lot of people's minds, especially the LGBTQ community, I would say, which is we hear all the time that, um, you know, being gay and like knowing it since you were born, like that it's this biologically ingrained um, orientation, even though, you know, science out there is mixed between nature and nurture, it's somewhere in between. And I think life is always in the gray, like it's never one or the other. Um, So how do you respond to those who would say, okay, Melissa, but like you never knew that you were into women when you were in elementary school or middle school or high school, like, you know, there was never an awakening moment. Like, how do you now look back at your childhood? Like, are there moments or memories where you were into women? So it's a great question. And it is, it is a topic of conversation. And I, one that I don't think is ever going to have a definitive answer because everyone has a perspective. And I don't think that there's a, a right or a wrong. I agree with you. There's a lot of gray area. Um, and, you know, some people would say, well, she was in denial. 
Okay, that's fair. Some people would say it's fluidity. Um, so I don't have a definitive memory of having a physical attraction to a girl or a woman at any point. I was emotionally drawn to women, but women do that. Women are drawn to other women for that emotional connection. So that never seemed like, quote unquote, you know, a red flag, if you will. Um, the My first identifying uh, physical attraction was in my mid 40s um, to Raya. So a lot of people say it's fluidity. I don't know that I believe, you know, uh, that it's a born this way. But when I was doing a deep dive into the book, I can look back at things that I had said along the way that people would go, huh, well, there you go. There's evidence, right? Um, but I didn't have that awareness. I didn't have that language. I don't have any conscious recollection of asking myself the question or even struggling with it at all. Um, so you can, you know, you can look at it at all different you know, in all different angles. Um, but I think there's a lot of fluidity and we get to where we need to be in our own way, in, in our own time. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And when I'm not here on the podcast, I am consulting with small businesses, undergraduate students, graduate students, podcasters, and those in media. So if you're curious about the work that I've done with my consultation services, you could just type me in on Google, Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and you'll see a few reviews pop up. I've worked on college admission essays for undergraduate students. I've revamped and expanded a small business's social media marketing campaign right here in Port Jefferson, New York. And I've also worked on a graduate student's thesis for her physician assistant program. So if you want to seek me out or inquire about my consultation services, just email me. That's the easiest way to reach me at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. That's easy to remember. And tis the season for college admission essays, both undergraduate and graduate thesis, writing, dissertation writing? Um, do you want to create a podcast and you don't know where to begin? Media work? Um, how to open a TikTok? How to start creating videos on TikTok? What to do with your Instagram? All of that I have done. So just reach out to me. Also, I'm really excited to announce that the December book club choice is Britney Spears's The Woman in Me memoir. So to join the book club, Head to ivorytowerboilerroom.com and go to events and you're going to see a form there just so I know how many of you are joining the book club. And that way I can reach out to each of your email addresses and poll all of you to see what date at the end of December works. It's going to be the week after Christmas. So don't worry. It's not going to be the week of Christmas. That would be hectic. And then I'll let you all know how to join the book club, which happens on Patreon. You just join under the ITBR book club section. So can't wait to see who wants to discuss Britney Spears. We have a lot to dissect there. And in the also, if you want to join the Wicked Broadway Musical group event, which is happening in March, head to that event section on the website and fill out that Google form by December 1st. 
Ah, so much happening here in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. And I love this community. I love being the host and director of this arts and culture organization. Thank you all for supporting me. It means so much. And please spread the word for my consultation services for the podcast, the book club, the Broadway musical, group event, all the things. And without further ado, here's today's episode. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. So. You know, when your family, your children, um, your ex-husband found out, like, I mean, what was it like talking to them about, you know, we can have a lot of conversation about this 10-year journey, but like, what was their first impression when they found out about you writing your experience and that you are a late bloomer when it comes to being a gay woman? So when I first... Um, had the conversation with my, um, at the time, my husband, because he was sitting on the sidelines watching what was happening with Raya. Uh, he wasn't surprised, you know, and, and, I, and I write that in the book. I struggled to tell him because I hadn't crossed that threshold yet. I hadn't said the words to myself yet about um, this is who I am. But he had asked for the conversation. So I had said to him, I'm struggling. And he knew. And it was a relief to put it out there. It was a relief, relief for both of us. And he was very, very supportive in those early days. We waited a bit before telling the kids for a few reasons. One, I needed to cross that threshold. I needed to own who I am. And I needed to be okay with it. And I was once I crossed the threshold, once I was able to say those words. And bringing it to the kids was probably the most difficult conversation I've ever had in my life. Not about telling them that I'm gay, but because the impact that I knew it would have on their on their lives. Um, it just meant their story was changing. And it was the one thing I never, I never wanted. Um, I never wanted to change their story. So that's what made it challenging. And, you know, for my kids, hearing that 
I was gay or I am gay, never, they never flinched about that. There was never a problem about that. Their upsetness came knowing that their story was changing in terms of what the family would look like, that one day dad would, would, you know, move out of the house, things like that they knew would change. That was the upsetting piece. My kids have never been anything but accepting of who I am, um, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Well, and that's what I was going to ask is like, even with the obstacles you face, like you do have such a supportive system around you, like in terms of there could be like, we know of stories where there's even more like fights or riffs. And I mean, it's not like you didn't have tense obstacle, like tense exchanges or trying to articulate your desire to your ex-husband. Um, but like, what do you do when people open up to you about their experience and like you hear of different obstacles and think back to what it was like when you first had to have that conversation about Raya, like you were starting to process who she was in your life. Like, do you relate to those, even if they do have such, we'll call it extreme reactions from the spouse? Uh, y yes, you know, it's, you know, it was said to me a very long time ago about by the time somebody, anybody, you know, understands who they are and they go through this process um, and then they start sharing it, they've taken some time to do this. You know, this isn't something you wake up one morning and go, oh, I'm gay or, oh, I'm this or I'm, I'm, I'm whatever it is. So when you bring it to somebody else, they're likely hearing it or thinking it for the first time. And you have to give them a chance to process, right? If they're hearing it for the first time, it takes a little while for them to go through it. And we need to be respectful of that. A lot of times when we're ready, we expect everyone to be ready with us. And that's not always the case. In the case of somebody in my situation, and it's happened with men too. I've spoken to many men who are quote unquote late bloomers and they were married to women. Um, it can be very traumatizing, you know, depending on how it's brought to the table. It was traumatizing in my situation because there was a woman. Um, I didn't, I didn't just wake up one day and say to him, and then we went along our way. It was traumatizing to him to watch his wife change and he saw and he saw this change in me but i've i've certainly met so many other people that um had a different experience than i had and so what i say to them is you know cruelty is never okay no matter what but certainly validating and having some patience and allowing that partner or that spouse um a little bit of time to see if they can land in a better place, but to have a little bit of understanding that their world has also been rocked and they now have to start over as well um, as the person that you know decides to live their life truer to who they are once they realize that. Yeah. And how would you explain your relationship to your ex-husband now, like in this current moment? So um, in this current moment, we we haven't had um, contact in quite a while. 
I did let him know back uh, before the book was released that I had written a book and I sent him a letter um, and he responded immediately with a lot of kindness, congratulations, and a lot of good about our children. And, you know, he wished me in the book well. So I'm optimistic going forward that things will change um, for the better. Um, so we haven't seen each other in quite a bit. Just, you know, there's, we live in different places and our kids are in different places. So there's been no um, accidental bump-ins be just because geography and logistics. Mm -hmm. But um, I absolutely am very optimistic that uh, things will change and that we will land in, uh, I think, in a good place. Well, so what... I I've been like wrapping my mind around reading your book, which is just so evocative. Like it's just written so beautifully, Melissa. And I'm curious, like did your views of the LGBTQ community change? Like not necessarily that all of a sudden you went from bigot to ally, like to like being in the community, like to an activist on the streets. Like, I'm not saying it has to be that drastic, but like, even did your children have a different relationship? I mean, now their mom is a gay woman, like even your ex, like, do you feel that everyone around you, your friends, other family members have had a different relationality to the LGBTQ community because of your journey? You know, what's interesting about, about that is I've always been an ally uh, of this community and I was always drawn to this community, um, even without understanding. I mean, I had to go diving deep and go, oh, I, you know, I was always drawn to this community. I was always drawn to both women and men that I knew were members of this community. And I was a full participant. I remember going to my first AIDS um, march in the city and just feeling so comfortable um, in this setting and with this community. I may not have understood it from myself personally, never imagined myself being a full-fledged member of it, but I was always very comfortable, probably more comfortable in the LGBTQ community than any other community, more comfortable in my neighborhood community, more comfortable in the PTO community, if you will, more comfortable than my temple community. I just didn't have the language. I didn't understand it. Um, my kids are fortunate to grow up both geographically, um, being in the Northeast, and just at a time in the world where it's not an issue for them. So they've, they've grown up with friends who are already at very young ages could identify um, where they were in this community. They've gone to camp with people that have identified as being members of this community. So for them, um, there wasn't a uh, anything that needed to be changed. Um, and the same, I would say, for my mother. Um, very open, very, very progressive, liberal thinker. Uh, that's why she responded to me uh, in the way that she did, which was um, supportive, spoiler alert. Um, but I was afraid, not because she wouldn't support my telling her I was gay, I was more concerned about um, her response to my marriage changing. Uh, so, you know, for us, um, I didn't 
notice that anybody was making any hard shifts because everybody was always very supportive allies of this community anyway I, I you know I'm fortunate because I know people that's not that's not the case um I know far too many people that that wasn't the case so I'm I, I am full of gratitude that that wasn't an issue in in my particular situation well and what is your advice or like you know what happens when you hear about those who you know, do come out later in life and they're from such conservative families or maybe even they themselves were really conservative. And then they like had this awakening of like, I have to, you know, be my authentic self. And even, right, there's so many who sadly, um, I mean, in the past, like in the 50 years ago, I think this would be unfortunately the majority, which is they would have a, you know, family in an, opposite sex relationship and never come out and just like maybe have affairs on the side or try to find their community in like in the closeted type spaces and bars. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of like World War II period. This is very common. So, you know, what do you think of those who never get that chance to come out because of their circumstances? Um, it's, you know, sadly, it still goes on. It's, it doesn't go as far back. Uh, I, I, you know, I've known people um, who've had special friends um, or they do what's expected of them for any number of reasons, um, cultural, religious, fear. Um, when they get to that point that they can say this is who they are, um, it's a lot of work to, you know, unravel you know what's been wrapped around them in, in you know like a noose almost and but you get to a certain point I think that's why um, it happens a lot with people who are in midlife you get to a certain point you've done your due diligence you've done you've lived the life that was expected of you or told of you um, this is what you should do and you get to a point where you start to look inward and you start to take ownership of your own life. And, and that can happen for any number of reasons. And I've met people throughout, you know, across the board um, with examples of this. Um, but when you're ready to take that leap and, you know, realize I only get one life and I've, 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 I've given so much of it to others, to my profession, to my spouse, to my parents, my aging parents, my now deceased parents, whatever it is, to my children, to my community, and you realize you're standing there with maybe less time ahead of you than you have behind you. And you decide to take the leap into your, your own life, um, to live that life that you know is waiting for you and to feel what that feels like, to be authentic. Yeah. So you talk a lot about finding the real Melissa. <laughs> like, so, you know, not to spoil this whole, your whole memoir, but like, what to you is being real? Like, what is a realness of a person? I think it goes back to the, to being not only authentic, but embracing who you are in, in every way. And, you know, again, we, a lot of us grow up, you know, we're blank slates when we're born. And we're born into a culture or a family or a religion. 
and they impart those values onto us. And so being real means for me, when you start examining those values that you've been living by or have been told to live by and kind of picking them apart, is that really my value or just something I inherited? And when you start to discard some of those values or some of those beliefs that are not congruent to who you are, um, and then start owning and embracing the values that define you, that make you feel like you are walking in your true, truest path, on your truest path as your most authentic self. Um, so for me, that's what it means to be real. Um, owning the values, making sure they're in alignment with who you are um, and how you show up in the world for yourself and certainly with others. But, you know, integrity is what you do when nobody's looking, right? So, you know, it has to be across the board, not just when you step outside and people are watching you or listening to you, but are you feeling at whole and at home in your body, in yourself and in your life, wherever you are, whomever you're with, even if you're alone. Wow. That's so powerful, Melissa. It also like begs the question, I feel, of what has changed? I mean, this is such a big question, but like what even specifically it could be activities or like the community that you're a part of before you came out um, as a gay woman, like what aspects of yourself do you feel you were hiding or were closeted aspects, like not just your sexuality, but your energy or the way you communicated to people? Like, has there been a major transformation of just what it's like to now be in your authentic energy and spirit and identity? It's a great question. I don't, for me, um, because I didn't have an awareness un until I did. So I never felt, I don't identify with having been closeted or hiding anything. So for me, it was always um, a forward motion. I am strengthened by my knowledge, by my awareness. And, and I feel that strength across the board for myself. I'm more in touch with who I am as a human being, as a woman, um, as a Jewish person, especially with what's going on in the world. These things come to the surface as a gay person with legislation being put, you know, passed, not even just, you know, putting up for vote, but actually getting passed, um, you know, at record rates. And it's very frightening and it's very scary. And there are some people that would go back and hide. And I find that I am strengthened and I will not hide now that I've come to understand all the facets of myself. Um, I find myself kind of emboldened. I don't put anything in anybody's face, everybody, um, you know, to live their own life. All I ask is that I'm allowed to live my life. So it's not about coming out, so to speak. It's more about feeling a strength in who I am um, and never and never wanting to be made to be invisible. And I'm just curious, like, what's the age range of your children? Now? Mm -hmm. Now, so my mm -hmm. my daughter now is 24 and my son is 21. OK, so they're Gen Z. And <laughs> like, I'm curious that 
like, do you ever get to have a lot of conversations with like queer Gen Zers or just younger LGBTQ members, like of the community? I have, I have, you know, I, I speak to people. I was just in uh, Miami for a pride fest and I got to speak to all kinds of people and it was just amazing. And, um, and a lot of fun just to see people across the age range, um, not knowing everybody's story, but being curious about it. Um, but loving that, that these younger people are just, they're, they're out and they're proud and they're living their best lives. And, um, I think it's fantastic. And yes, and we've had conversations, um, about what that's like. Um, and I've also had conversations with, uh, people that have been out who are older than myself, who have been out for a very long time, um, who worry about the younger generation because, you know, will they know, you know, what what these older folks have done to kind of blaze the trail? And I mean, I, I had a man um, who was at the forefront when, you know, age was just becoming um, back in the 80s. And um you know, we were just hearing about it and people were getting sick and people were dying. And he was in that movement to try to, you know, impart positive change and get help. And um, he cried to me um, when he said, I'm worried about this younger generation. And I said, I believe fully and I, because I look at my children and their friends. And I think the younger generation always comes up. They will always show up and they will always rise to the occasion. And they may not know the specific things that you've done, but they know that they're here now and they will fight for that. Well, and something that when I have these intergenerational conversations is like, I remember in as an undergrad when same sex was legalized and um, like still have, well, actually it was when New Jersey legalized same sex marriage, but like going through that experience. And I do think that what's so beautiful to see with the younger generation, and I'll have conversations with like those who are in high school right now or those who are in their early 20s. And like, they're so, I find the majority, of course, I'm sure there's, you know, some who are conservative Gen Zers, but the majority seem to just be so supportive of how people identify like in their friend group in school um in their school system that it's so wonderful to see the like queer empowerment and the pleasure and like seeing that aspect um of living your authentic joyful life but i can also understand how like someone who I'll have them on the podcast, like those who've been part of the Liberation Front, um, the Gay Liberation Front. I had Michaela Grifo on, um, like those who were in Stonewall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to pass that history down is so important. But mm -hmm. I also sometimes do wonder, do we need to dwell? And this is just a question I have all the time. Do we need to dwell in the queer pain? And are some uncomfortable moving into the moving into the empowerment? Like, because they're so used to they're always being um, a boogeyman behind the curtain in the government, say. Like, can we actually fully embrace the pleasure and the empowerment because they're nervous that something's stalking behind the curtain and it's going to take away our rights? 
like you've even said with legislation. Right. But, you know, it's it's also um, it would be a wonderful uh, moment in time if we can all just be immersed in who we are, whatever that is, however we identify um, in this world. Um, you know, for me, though, reality is we do need to stay aware of those people, whatever it is um, that is threatening to those around us to the point that if they're in power, they are trying to disempower us. For me, it's just about being human and somebody is trying to disempower me and I just need to be aware that this is possible. In in the same way, you know, I wash my hands a lot because I'm aware that there are germs out there. You know, um, I'm not crazy about it. I'm not a germaphobe. I shake hands. I hug people. But I'm also, you know, very uh, conscious of my surroundings. Um, so I think it's across the board. I think we, you know, we need to do a nice balance of both. Live live our truest lives, um, but also be aware of the world mm -hmm. that we do live in and the reality that's here. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm so excited to shout out the Gay and Lesbian Review, who is helping to sponsor the ITBR podcast. For all of you out there, the Gay and Lesbian Review is a bi-monthly magazine where you can discover new things about gay and lesbian literature, history, and culture. And the GL Review publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features, such as artist profiles and their popular art memo column. Each issue of the magazine brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme. For example, their September-October issue centers on the theme, Cracking the Closet. So, starting in the 19th century, a number of artists and writers found ways to crack the closet by expressing their sexuality between the lines or in the interstices of their work. For example, Ignacio Darnad, who is a friend of the ITBR podcast, he's been on our show, writes all about illustrator J.C. Leyendecker, whose work for Ivory Soap and Arrow Collars gave him plenty of opportunities to draw pictures of well-dressed and at times scantily dressed American men. And you also can find an article by Vernon Rosario, who has been on the podcast, and he talks about the quest for sex in the Middle Ages. So to subscribe, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Click subscribe. So on their website, go all the way over to the right-hand side, and you'll see the button subscribe. Click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR50 because you're getting 50% off your subscription to the print or digital edition of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine. I can't wait for you all to have your copy of the Gay and Lesbian Review magazine and make sure that you take a picture when your magazine arrives or when you're reading it online and tag the GL Review on Instagram and ITBR and we'll share it out in our stories. Enjoy your reading, everyone. Happy winter. Happy holidays. I hope you all are merry and bright out there. I am here in Port Jefferson, New York on Long Island in one of my favorite stores. It is the Soapbox NY 
a Bath and Body Boutique. I'm here with one of the co-owners, Janine. Hi, Janine. Happy holidays. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Thank you. Good. So I know you have many winter scents to walk us through. So let's yes. get started because there's a lot to talk about and it's exciting. So what is this that I'm holding? This is a hand wash by one of our favorite companies, Greenwich Bay. Uh, it's a gingerbread scent, which is wonderful, very Christmassy, very holiday-ish. And you can follow it up by using Greenwich Bay's lotion. It's a hand and body lotion. And to keep with that gingerbread scent is a um, sugar whip scrub. It's a body scrub that you could use in the shower. And it's by a company called Primal Elements. And it's something I'm actually using currently. And I said to Janine, and she always laughs, that I really feel like I'm in Santa's bakery. So, oh, it is so yummy. It's a good one. And then... What are these adorable little yep. soap gifts? Jumping back to Greenwich Bay. This is a great little grab-and-go gift. Uh, great for a stocking stuffer. There are mini soaps by Greenwich Bay. And it just gives you a little sample of some of their mini soaps to try. Ooh, peppermint, yeah. mistletoe, holly, yeah, cranberry. Yeah, and there's some um, red in there too. And then what is this room spray? This is from company Michelle Design Works, another one of our favorites room spray that you can use any room in your house just kind of freshens up the room a bit and what is this by michelle design also works? by michelle design works is winter blooms one of their new scents this holiday season it's great it's um a hand wash you can use it in your kitchen or your bathroom and then here is something to follow it up with exactly it's a hand and body lotion and then what is this beautiful decorative candle here? One of our favorites that we actually sell mm. all year round because it's so popular. This is the scent of Fraser Fur by Times. I think I'm becoming addicted to it. Yes. I think you are because you already own one, I believe. I own one and it is a decorative candle for me because I'm about to open it, but it's just in such I know the packaging a beautiful is, package. I don't know what's better, the packaging or the scent. I'm using it wonderful. as a holiday decoration. So cool. I'll get to the candle eventually, everyone. But it's wonderful because with Times and their Fraser Fur, not only do they carry the candles, but they also make it in the scent in the diffuser, in soap, the hand lotion, the um, the hand soap. It's just a great line and a great scent. We're going to be Fraser Furred uh, crazed this holiday season. I love it. And yeah. then what are these so adorable pajamas? My friends next to me, uh, a company called Hello Mellow. But these pajamas are so comfy. We have the t-shirts with the pajama pants. These happen to be the Nutcrackers, one of my favorite this holiday season. And then they have the night shirts too. And they're so comfy. And it says, oh, what, what fun, fun, with the little Santa hat. Yes, and we have others as well. So, Janine, how can everyone out there get their hands on your hand and body and even pajama products. Well, we'd be more than happy to see you in our shop. We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson Village. You could always call us to place an order. We're happy to ship to you. Our phone number is 631-509-1424. You can place an order on our website, soapboxny.com. And you could also find us on Instagram or TikTok at the soapboxny. So many options. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for all of you out there to just enjoy what I love so much about the Soapbox NY. So with yeah, that, thank you so much. Happy winter, everyone. And this is going to keep you all, especially in the Northeast, merry and cheery with our cold, dark days. Yes, I know they're coming, unfortunately, but we'll yeah. survive. But this will get you that pep right, in your, your spirits. Step. Exactly. I think so too. Yes. There we go. Happy yes. holidays. Happy Bye, holidays. everyone. Thank you.
Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I am so excited to be talking about Broadview Press. You might be asking, what is Broadview Press, Andrew? Broadview is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish in the humanities mainly English studies, writing, philosophy, and history, just to name a few genres. And recently, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who wrote all about the philosophy of sport. And what better summer episode than to talk about what happens when a philosopher dissects the beautiful aesthetics of sporting culture? In the spring, I had on doctors Kyle Stedman and Tanya Rodriguez to talk about what is sound writing, how to make audio projects in the college classroom, how to even have your students create podcasts. And then in the winter, I had on Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Weinstock. He talked about analyzing pop culture. Yes, I even sneak in some Real Housewives questions and how to teach composition and make it fun. He uses this whole metaphor about being a mad scientist in this gothic lab. And in the fall, I had on Dr. Ann Stevens and she talked about literary theory and criticism. And yes, the university season is upon us. So what better way to talk about the college classroom than to actually understand what is literary theory? That's a wonderful episode for all of you out there who teach literary studies. I love Broadview Press. Make sure you use their exclusive code. It's Ivory Tower on broadviewpress.com. You get 20% off all, all Broadview Press publications. Okay, until the next Broadview Press interview. And now back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Well, and throughout your book, like you do explore, we've talked about it, touched upon it briefly, but to dive deeper into it is, were, was it surprising how people reacted when they found out that you were a gay woman? Like people you've known for years. Like, I think that's another, I'm sure, hesitation or such a nervousness someone has as a late bloomer or like coming out later in life is you know, not only is their family dynamic going to change, but their friend dynamic, like they're going to find out that maybe some of their friends are not as open-minded as they thought they were, you know, or as just accepting of people's humanity, like they have their own ingrained beliefs. So, you know, what was that process like? I think, um, and, and it is, it, it, it's a real thing. Um, and it's more about people have difficulty with change. So when you come out later in life, if you will, people know you as, so they know you as so-and-so's wife, so-and-so's husband, you know, on, for the other side, they know you as so-and-so's mother. Um, they, they know you a certain way and it's very challenging for them to shift that and see you as something other than how they've always known you. And I was always fascinated by the people that um, have known me prior to being a married woman with kids and I came out to them and they were like, yeah, I could see that. Um, which I thought was interesting, you know, suddenly people's, uh, you know, everything clicks into place and it kind of makes sense because they have some, something in their mind, whether it's a stereotype or it, it's not, you know, that much of a bridge to it, but the people that 
know you in a relationship in a certain um in a life that resembles theirs for existence for for example you know in my community these are people that know me as you know um one part of a married couple you know parents and we do things together my life looks like theirs and i think people struggle with that with that kind of change um and uh that was challenging and uh, you know I think in my case, a lot of times uh, people went and not just in my case, a, a lot of the women that I know had the same experience that when they split with their husbands for this reason, their couple friends seemed to go the way of the husband. And suddenly they, you know, remained friends with him and the phone calls and the invitations became less and less. If, if they were having a party, they could only invite one, you know, whether it was the woman or the man, they invited, they invited the man because it wasn't as much of a transition. They didn't have to worry about this woman. And what do you say? What's the right language? What if she shows up with a woman? What about the other people? Um, so people tend to kind of stick to what's familiar and stay in their comfort zone. Had was there any or recently, even with your book, like anyone who's returned to your life, like who said, Oh, you know, Melissa, I was like misjudged you, or I didn't understand your journey. But like, I see now how happy and authentic and just full of life you are. Um, I haven't had anybody who stepped away return. Um, but I've gotten a lot of good, uh, positive feedback and amazing messages, uh, from, from general readers and, um, who resonate with what I, with, with what I've written or with my journey or who have reached out to me for help. Uh, but I don't know that, um, I mean, I'm not also advertising it in my community. I know that there are people in my community that are aware of it. I know there are people in my community that that have the book and they wished me well and they've, um, you know, tried to be supportive, but there hasn't been any, you know, tsunami of change in terms of um, coming in and wanting to start over or expressing, um, you know, what you've just expressed that, you know, but it's still new. It's still on the newer side. So uh, one never knows. Well, and the digital age that we live in now and the print age that is like even you being here right now, like those who are listening to this podcast, like those who it's so deeply resonating or like they're thinking of people who came out late in life um, or even, you know, thinking that we don't have to have such fixed views on identity. Like that to me is... What you even brought up is so many people want it to be the simple answer of how the family lifestyle looks or, um, you know, not knowing that people could have an open marriage. Like that's something that is new to a lot of people, even though the queer community has been like arranging different alternative families ever since they've existed because laws did not allow for, you know, um, parental rights and adoption rights. Like there's always been the struggle. So like they've created their own family units. So like what I'm curious about is, you know, when you go to Fire Island or Prov Provincetown, 
what have you learned, Melissa, about the queer community? Like as an outsider, like entering into the community with such new eyes. So I have found, well, it's a little bit different um, when I first started going into the community when this was all very new for me. And I had gotten a little bit of pushback from, from women who recognized that uh, where I was in my journey. And that makes sense to me. And I didn't like it, but it certainly made sense that um, they would question somebody that in their eyes was still questioning um, or wasn't fully there yet. Um, as time went on and I became more immersed um, both in myself and my um, authenticity, but in this community, I think it's a fabulous community. And I have been just greeted with people who are warm and welcoming. And I have never experienced um, a community quite like, with the exception of the writing community, I find them to be very generous as well, um, now, now, now that I'm in the writing community. Um, but I find the LGBTQ community just to be very, um, just a great place to be, just to move around in it. Uh, Provincetown is where my heart lives. And to me, it feels like home. And they have accepted me and welcomed me and supported me in, in a way that just is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. Um, and even in early days of my journey, when I just wanted to be around people that I knew would be in this community and I'd go out to Fire Island, it, there was just like an exhale. It's just something very comforting to be around members of this community, um, whether you engage with them directly or you're just in their presence and you know that that's where you belong. Um, it feels good. Yeah. So my last question, Melissa, which I could talk to you for, you know, a really long time, but I want to make sure everyone, you know, gets their hands on late bloomer uh, is, you know, now that your book is out, you know, now that like you've had years of being in the community, like going to resort towns that are LGBTQ centered, um, what is the most surprising over your 10 year journey? Like from when you first uttered the words in that gym of, you know, am I gay to now where you are? Like what has just surprised you or like through this journey you never thought would exist in your life? Oh, um, I just, I couldn't imagine back, back then, you know, after I uttered those words and went on just an all out search for help and was so frightened and um, I could never imagine being where I am now and that things land and things settle. And it is um, a very challenging journey. And I meet people, especially now with the book being out, I meet people that are in the quote unquote messy middle and they are where I once was. And um, I talk to them about how challenging this journey is, but it is worth it. When you get to the other side of something, when you get to the other side of this, 
to feel whole, to, to know that you're living um, a life of integrity and authenticity. And it may have been messy and it may, you know, may not have been pretty to get here. Um, but once you land there and it all makes sense, um, I could not have imagined um, how good it feels to, to, to feel this peace. Yeah. Well, and even I feel you've taught me so much with your work, Melissa, the importance of whether they be intimate, acquaint like intimate uh, personal relations or just acquaintances, you know, in the town that like there are those that I've seen on Fire Island, but they don't live out gay lives mm -hmm. in my town. Like and they live right among me, like they live right near me. And it's never, though, I feel a lesson that you really bring to bear is it's not on us to judge someone's journey. And that's why I truly don't believe in outing people. I think it's not until they're ready to utter those words, even though, right, you might know it all along. Um, as long as you're just a safe space for that person and they see how open you are and authentic, you know, they're looking up to you as a mentor. They're looking up to you even if they can't utter those words. So I want to thank you for just what you're doing for, you know, writing and documenting your experience is truly um, courageous. And it's also giving encouragement and empowerment for others to see like this is possible, you know, but it's not on us to force someone because I think some people want to do that. And I, I have ethical issues against that. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic movie, Great Movie Ride, in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly. The list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, get listening to That Old Gay Classic Cinema. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Happy almost holiday season. Because the holidays are upon us, I'm sure so many of you out there are thinking, oh my, what am I going to get my friends, my family, my children, my romantic partner, my husband, my wife, any, you know, significant person in your life. Look no further than my good friend, Mandy Bangle, 
who makes handmade crocheted items. Her company is called Mandy Made It. You can follow her on Instagram at M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And you will see all of these crocheted items that she's going to be able to customize for you, including special characters, sports team figures, even holiday items like a snowflake or a Christmas tree. So I have Mandy's keychains. I have the poison apple from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I have a rainbow um, flag that she made me. So Mandy is able to really customize an order just depending on what your hobbies and passions are and, you know, what item you're really looking for. So because you're listening to me talk about Mandy. She said that anyone who goes to Mandy Made It on Instagram and orders from her, and they've heard the Ivory Tower Boiler Room ad, she will give you all a free Ivory Tower Boiler Room t-shirt with your order. So head right now to Mandy Made It. You know, if you were really looking for that special gift, now you don't have to look any further because I have you covered with Mandy Made It. Okay, I hope you all enjoy your items from Mandy Made It. And please make sure that you take a photo of your crocheted items so that we can share it out on our social media. I know Mandy would love that, and I would love to see what you all are ordering from her. She even has an adorable pillow called Netflix and Chill, and she has these cute coasters that she crochets for your favorite coffee or tea mug. So enjoy all your Mandy Made It products. I agree. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because all we can do is just be a safe space and a safe place for somebody. We need to share our stories, but everybody's story is a little bit different. Even if there are threads of familiarity, um, people get to where they get to in their own time. And, and we just need to be there and, you know, shine a light if they're crossing. Um, but two steps forward, sometimes one step back, sometimes three steps back. We just have to be a safe place. So I'm so happy that you said that because it's true. And it's not our story to share. Um, we can think whatever we want to think, but everyone is entitled to share their own story in their own way, in their own time. Exactly. And you can just continue to be, you know, your authentic real self and, you know, that, um, lightning rod. So, you know, Melissa, this has been wonderful. I loved this conversation. Um, everyone you. out there can get their hands on late bloomer. Here we go. I'm going to hold <laughs> it up nicely. Uh, Finding my authentic self at midlife by Melissa Iberson. So Melissa, where can everyone follow you on social media? I think you have an Instagram definitely. I, I am on Instagram. I'm more active on, on Facebook and I have a website, melissageiberson.com. And there's an email there. Um, so people can reach out to me on any of those platforms. I right. love hearing from people and, and I always respond um, because I just love sharing stories. And if I can help somebody um, or just be that safe person that someone wants to share their story with, please reach out to me. I love to hear from people. Great. Well, I know I'm about to send uh, your book and like even that I've interviewed you to those in my life. So 
I can't wait to like share this out to like now it's out to the public while everyone's listening, but I'm so happy that this conversation's out there. Like I'm going to spread the word on social media. So everyone can find Melissa's book in my show notes to the podcast. You can find her social media channels and um, her website. So you can reach out and email her. I know she would love that. So thank you, Melissa. And I can't wait. You know, I'll have to get you back on here. Maybe you'll have to join me as I'm recapping. Um, Queer as folk, because I feel like I need your perspective with all of the dramatic uh, plot lines that happen on that show. So if you're open to it, I'll get you on a future episode because I'd love to hear what you think. Absolutely. That would be a lot of fun. (laughs) Great, great. Well, thank you, Melissa. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. I love chatting with you. Yes, I can't wait to be back in touch and um, bye to the audience out there. Okay. (laughs)